I V M. What was it like to rescue Indian hostages from Taliban-controlled Afghanistan almost 20 years ago? What happened after the Indian Airlines flight IC814 landed in Kandahar? Spymaster Anandarni joins us on this episode of the Pragati Podcast to give us a close look behind the scenes. Welcome to the Pragati Podcast, a weekly talk show on public policy, economics, and international relations. We are your hosts, Hamsini Hariharan and Pavan Srinath. Before we get Mr. Anandarni on the show, let me recount some history that is quite well known. I also want to apologize in advance for the quality of my voice during this introductory recording. Indian Airlines flight IC814 was hijacked on December 24, 1999, en route from Kathmandu to Delhi. The terrorist group Harkatul Mujahideen, with the full backing of the Pakistani ISI, committed this hijacking and held 191 people hostage. One person died from a fatal stabbing, and 17 were injured in this grave act of terror. The hijacked plane landed in Kandahar after stops in Amritsar, Lahore, and Dubai, with 164 hostages still on board. It was then that an Indian team conducted a series of intense negotiations and got the hostages back safely after agreeing to surrender three terrorists who were languishing in Indian jails. This is a story that is now over 19 years old, and it has been told many times over. Two books have been written, and endless stories and news coverage has happened since then. But what was it like to be a part of that negotiating team? What were the absurdities and hilarities that went alongside such a high-stakes situation? I hope to share a glimpse of that today with all of you. Anandarni was a part of the hostage rescue team sent to Kandahar in 1999. Mr. Arni retired as the special secretary in the cabinet secretariat several years ago, and has more recently been a distinguished fellow and advisor at the Takshashila Institution. Special secretary in the cabinet secretariat, by the way, is code for him being the second in command at the research and analysis wing, India's external intelligence agency. That's the R and A W, by the way, not raw. Mr. Arni is the polar opposite of a movie spy like James Bond or Ethan Hunt, and India's own agent Vinod doesn't come close either. He was directly recruited out of college in Bangalore into India's spy agency, and spent about 37 years serving with them in various capacities. He spent a significant amount of time in his career looking at Pakistan and Afghanistan, and continues to do so today as a scholar and a thinker. In 1999, Anandarni was a joint secretary in the R&DW. His colleague C D Sahai was also in the R&DW. Ajit Doval, our current national security adviser, was then working in the intelligence bureau along with Nechal Sandhu. Vivek Kachu was in the Ministry of External Affairs. The five of them together formed the Indian team, which had to go to a hostile Kandahar. We must remember this was when the government of India did not recognize the Taliban as a legitimate government in Afghanistan. They were off into very hostile territory. We'll be back with Anandarni after these messages. Also joining me on this episode as a co-host is my colleague Pranay Kotasthane, who hosts Pulia Bazi, a fortnightly show on public policy in Hindi on the IVM network. 
do check it out if you haven't already most of you must be here listening to the pragati podcast because you are interested in public policy politics or international relations some of you might have started a career related to public policy and some of you here may be considering it i wanted to mention that i am also a member of the faculty at the takshashila institution and we have a range of courses that are designed for busy working professionals and full time students and our programs help people make a career out of transforming india Takshashila's courses are a mix of live online classes and readings and offline workshops. These courses range from 4 weeks to 12 to 48 and several courses are starting in 2019. Please go to takshashila.org.in/education to find the right course for you. And if it isn't the right thing for you, then tell a friend or colleague. The link is in the description. Hello everybody welcome to another week on the IVM podcast network if you're not following us on social media please make sure that you are we are IVM podcast on Facebook Twitter and Instagram I have a little bit of news for people we are releasing a new version of our app and as part of that we're running a beta program we have about 40 slots left for different users to participate in the beta program and if you'd be interested in doing that please go to our website ivmpodcast.com/appbeta that's ivmpodcast.com/appbeta Over there, you'll be find a form which will let you submit your email address to us, and we'll invite you into the beta. Again, it's a limited availability, so we're only going to be able to invite so many people. But if you're interested, please do subscribe. And this week on Cyrus says, Cyrus talks to stand-up comedian Saurav Mehta about moving from HR to comedy and positioning himself as the first giant stand-up comic. On Simplified this week, the guys talk to Atul Chaudhary of Magna Sound about the golden age of indie pop in the '90s. On the season finale of the Kind of Living podcast, Coach Urmi spoke to fellow NTC trainer Kunal Rajput, and they talk about kettlebell sports, powerlifting, and how his dad, a Mumbai-based bodybuilder, inspired him to pursue his fitness career. And starting November nineteenth, we have a very exciting project. We're starting our first history project with Anirudh Kanisetti. It's called Echoes of India. Please do catch it on the IVM podcast app, website, or wherever you get your podcast from. And with that, let's continue on with your show. Welcome back to the Pragati Podcast, Mr. Arni. Welcome to the show. It's a pleasure to finally have you as a guest on the Pragati podcast. Can you tell us what went down in Kandahar in December of 1999 and what you got to see and do while there? I came into the picture actually on the 26th, I mean, oh, we knew the minute a hijack took place, of course we were tracking it in my department and uh, So this was a flight that took off from, from Nepal from Kathmandu from- was to uh, sing was hijacked Where was it going? It was going to Kathmandu. Delhi. Delhi hijacked and taken to Amritsar for refueling. In Amritsar, the aircraft was stalled for quite some time, and then finally the 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 hijackers threatened to execute people, so the aircraft was allowed to take off and go. The next place they landed was Pakistan, but uh, again they were not given permission to land, so they had to go, and eventually. uh landed uh, the third stop was actually in uh, an air base near dubai um i came into the picture at that point when the aircraft took off from uh, uh, dubai and was headed towards uh, refueled and took off and they were headed towards to kandahar pakistan officially did not give them permission to land in afghan pakistan territory but the taliban allowed the aircraft to be outland all preplanned i would think um it landed in kandahar and we were uh, this was 26th morning 
I was told that we should be ready to leave. So we went by, we had a special aircraft which took us to Kandahar. And we were about, as I counted the numbers in that aircraft, which I was in, we had 52 people. Uh, there was a the air crew, a relief air crew, because we were, in the event that we were, could come out of Kandahar, the, the other aircraft, the crew had to come out. A team of doctors and nurses in, for emergencies, and five of us were doing some negotiations, and some flight engineers also, some engineers to service the other aircraft and stuff. Totally 52. We landed at about 4.30 or 5. It was dark in Kandahar when we landed, uh, and we had no visas because it's the, we didn't recognize the Taliban. This is the only time I have traveled anywhere abroad where without a visa and nobody even checked my passport so we could have uh, we just got off the aircraft and were taken uh, straight to some old what we realized much later uh, was barracks established by the, actually the Americans and then the occupied by the Russians and then uh, lately more lately by the Pakistanis and then emptied for us well, sort of a hostel type of thing. We were there. Twenty-one of us, I think, stayed in that facility. What was the huh? airport like? Was there much of an airport in Kandahar? Yeah, there was an airport which we saw next morning. Our non-essential crew, the people like the aerostasis and the doctors, stayed back in the aircraft and probably had a better time because they had a, <laughs> you know better facilities yeah. there. Whatever they had. Four bathrooms, whereas we had only whatever. Anyway, those are incidental matters. Next morning, uh, we were came across. It was the month of Ramzan, so food. Uh, we all of us we were getting up. We got up late. There was no food available and uh, no tea, nothing. So, my star basically eat one meal a day. Um, we met Mr. Mutawakil, who was the foreign minister. And we're given a brief description of what happened, of what is happening, and contact, point of contact. Actually, we had made some contact with the hijackers the previous evening. The Taliban had provided us a room, slightly double the size of this room, with some uh, communication equipment with which we could talk to the hijackers. And uh, next day, the hijackers threw down the, their demands the demands were for the release of, uh, if I can remember right, 31 or 29 people and some $25 million or twenty, or, or, or its equivalent in rupees. I don't remember exactly what. It was tied to a stone and thrown out of the window. And I remember picking, going, being one to those who went and picked it up. And um, then the negotiations started in the evening. Most of the negotiations were in the evening because uh, it was too hot during the day. Uh, tempers would have been frayed because they were uh, it was a holy month and uh, they they were quiet they were sick. we were talking in the evenings how did you talk to them Sarni? like they could understand english or hindi urdu urdu, urdu. Okay. we in hindi then urdu okay. that sort of hmm. a thing and if the demands were thrown out of a window with a rock and a note tied to it, uh, were the negotiations in person? Did the hijackers have a representative? No, no, no. The hijackers were in the aircraft. They didn't come out of the aircraft. We were talking to them through the control tower, okay. uh, that communication set up. They gradually, over a period of four days, they uh, from 31 and whatever, the money was the first thing that went. And then... Uh, 
the demands were whittled down. Mr. Doval, our present National Security Advisor, was the leader of the delegation, and uh, he's the one who actually did the physical negotiation. He managed to whittle them down to uh, one plus two, the one being Masood Azhar, Maulana Masood Azhar. That was the sole focus of the hijack. The hijack was engineered by people from his own family, five hijackers, they, they only wanted his uh, to secure his religion. But along and, the way, they and asked where him, had he been caught? He had been caught in India in Jammu, I think. I don't remember mm. exactly where he was caught, traveling as a Portuguese passport. Okay. Um, he was in the Srinagar jail, I guess. Right? Jammu, jail, Jammu, right? Jammu jail, I think, yeah. And um, he's an interesting character. He was joined the Huji, Darkatul Jihad Islami, a rotund, uh, overweight man, and he couldn't do much in terms of the military training. I think he failed the military training, but uh, was probably some amount of leadership qualities in him. He got close to the Arkatul Jihadi leadership and they uh, went on fundraising tours all over and uh, been to Africa, parts of Africa, raised money and come back. And somehow, for some strange reason, he came to the valley, probably hoping to uh, lead the revolution or study about it from there or whatever. Anyway, got caught and he was in Jammu jail. So this whole hijack was ensured to secure his release. And along the way, we, I mean, uh, the other two people we had to release was one was uh, uh, the famous Omar Sheikh, the London School of Economics educated uh, young man who was also caught in India. And the third one was the only Indian, I would say, only person we can call an Indian, a Kashmiri called Mushtaq Zargar, who headed the Al-Bark. Latram was his uh, alias. He headed a group called the Al-Bark, which is particularly a vicious uh, group, semi-criminal group, not really more of criminals rather than uh, jihadis or leaders or separatists or whatever you call them. Um... So this was the situation which arose. We had to set them, release them. As I told you that we had issues along the way, no food, till the UN started flying in oily chicken burgers from Peshawar. Not so much for us, but more for the hostages, 167 of them. And there might have been vegetarian hostages. Yeah, them. there would have been definitely vegetarian hostages, but who want, nobody wanted to eat there. Even drinking water was a painful thing for them because their toilets were clogged. Hmm. They were not released from the uh, aircraft. How long did... Uh, five, the... five, six days in that aircraft. Wow. And nothing and no toilet can work for six days. You can imagine the stench in that uh, thing. So nobody ate. Uh, children screaming and oh, you, you had that situation. We had... The aircraft was actually parked near the terminal near the arrival and departure lounge, whatever you could call it, whereas our aircraft was the other end of the airfield, exactly the reverse of what should have been, what is established practice in hijacks, where you send the hijacked aircraft as far away from the terminal. This was done the other way around. It was surrounded by the Taliban, with the guns not pointing inwards, but guns pointing outwards. Show, just a show, nothing really. Uh, there, there were no enemies coming from anywhere. And uh, it was not hooked to the uh, 
power supply from the terminal. It was working on what's called an APU, an auxiliary power unit, which normally works for four hours at a time. This APU uh, worked for 100 hours before it blew up. So the Air India people told me that uh, when they were going that this is one thing we will take out, the Indian Airlines people, that we will take out and keep in our museum. It is rated for four hours and it worked for 100 hours. <laughs> But it exploded, and that uh, the even the Taliban, when it did explode, even the Taliban thought that the, uh, the Indians were doing had something. blown up the aircraft. So a whole flurry of activity, and we went up. Oh, so Taliban themselves thought the hijackers. They worried because they came. Uh, they woke us up at four, uh, six o'clock in the morning and rushed us to the thing, saying there's been an explosion on board. So they didn't know the whole story about. I uh, think we had one interpreter with us. Uh, I've forgotten his name. I used to remember the name very well, but forgotten. He was later picked up by the Americans and sent to a university in the U.S., where he came to some gained some fame as uh, saying something that women should be more modestly dressed or something like that. Some American university. I'll get the name. If I remember the name, I'll let you know. Mr. Arni, in all this time, uh, what were the hostages thinking? Did they know that there was a negotiation underway? Uh, did you learn later as to uh, how? No, I don't. I don't. I never really talked to them. Uh, as I told you, we're five of us and we were given different tasks. Uh, Mr. Doval and uh, one other person went to take, after the negotiations succeeded, take custody, take charge, not custody, take charge of the uh, hijacked passengers. We, you again, as you know, we didn't. We can't make passport checks to check who's there. 167 of them. We don't want that. That there should be only 164, or don't want 169 to come. And so physical count. There were a couple of foreigners. In fact, one Swiss millionaire was on that aircraft. He was uh, headed a firm which made currency notes, ink currency notes, a paper, I think and was a Swiss millionaire. So he was on that aircraft. A couple of Belgians, I think, were there, and uh, the same, but mostly Indians. Uh, so that was two. And two others were had gone in to brief uh, Mr. Jaswan Singh, who had come in. And I was left on the tarmac, so that was... I watched the physical handing over of uh, Masood Azhar first when he came. Uh, came down the aircraft, and the first thing he did was bent down and kissed the ground and uh, he was taken away by the Minister for Civil Aviation who was none other than Mansoor Akhtar who later became the Taliban chief and obviously they knew each other because there a lot of bonhomie between the two of them. Next man who came down was uh, Omar Sheikh. I mean there was a gap of about five minutes between each. One was taken away, the next man came down and then he came down and Unfortunately, when the next man came down, the call for prayer had been given. The azan was sounded, so nothing was done at that point. So he was down on the ground, and the third man came down a little after that. So once that was done, the passengers were released, and there was a scramble to get onto various aircraft. Uh, three aircraft, two of them took off, uh, one after the other. The third aircraft, which was the hijacked aircraft, couldn't take off immediately. And nobody really wanted to travel in that aircraft because of the stench uh, thing. But it but, was still working and yes, had yes, enough fuel. Mr. J.R.D. Rao, who was the deputy managing director of Indian Airlines, flew that aircraft himself. He stayed. He would come with us and he stayed back and 
to fly the aircraft back and a uh, couple of days later I asked him about the aircraft he said she flew beautifully as if there was nothing she wanted to go back to India that was the type of uh, phrases Mr. Andy I remember you telling us that this was around 26th when all this started right and uh, so we were approaching the year 2000 yeah. so there was something which you had mentioned related yeah, to yeah, the yeah, date yeah. which changed suddenly yeah. Mr. Rani, this was to do with the visit of Mr. Jaswant Singh, our then Minister of External Affairs, right? My responsibility in that team was to look after the satellite phones, the communication channel. And I was, it's not that it was assigned responsibility, it's just that I brought the satellite phones with me and I knew how to operate it, so I kept it. It was. Uh, Today, satellite phones are very easily operatable, but those days it was Imasat which had to be aligned to uh, wherever the satellite mm. was, etc. A little slightly complicated. And um, sitting at that, manning the telephone which was on the scene, I got this call from uh, suddenly, phone call came saying, Rishik, Kandahar ATC, Kandahar ATC, this is Air India, yeah, it was Air India, not Indian, Air India, uh, Rishik, Bombay. So I told them, I, without explaining what it is, I said, I said, this is not Kandahar ATC, please stay, get off the line. Twice it happened, the third time he said, hold on, hold on, who's talking? I told him, this is, we are the, we are in Kandahar, we are the negotiating team, we are not in the ATC. So we, there was negotiation going on and some people are calling you for something else in this between. This was after, they, they had been told that the <laughs> negotiations had worked, <laughs> it will come clearly a okay. little later. So I said, uh, will you hold on? Please tell us. I she said, uh, uh, look, we have a VVIP aircraft coming this evening to Kandahar and we need certain clearances. I said, please talk to the ATC. I can try and get you the number later on. But he said, no, we know the number, but nobody's picking it up. And this is the number we have been given. So I said, uh, there's nothing I can certify. And uh, no, no, we have a VVIP passenger coming. So I said, look, I'm here. At this. We know, I know who the VVIP passenger is. What is it you want? So he said, we want some certification. I said, I'm sorry, I just can't give you a certification. Anyway, to cut a long story short, this story, this conversation went on. Eventually they said, please certify. We will accept your certification. But this is a technical reason we need. First question was, is there night landing facilities? I said, no, there is. I don't know. I can go and make inquiries. Or and I had remembered some like you were talking about Rambo movies. I was also thinking of those type of things. I said I can tell the Taliban to keep some trucks with their lights on if that is night landing <laughs> facility. But you know that was my only exposure, so that went off. The second question I don't remember, but the third was classic. You must remember this is the thirty first December, nineteen ninety nine. So uh, the Air India chap asked me, will you please certify that it is Y2K free? <laughs> so, at that time, I lost my temper and uh, said, look, there is not one computer. This is a Taliban controlled Afghanistan. There's not one computer in this country. How can, why do you ask that question? Anyway, that was the long and short of it. The 31st <laughs> December 1999 uh, was the the aircraft was to land. I think this was the afternoon we got. Then, of course, the aircraft came and everything was over. We must have uh, left. I landed in Delhi at about 10.30. A whole, a whole, uh, there was no security. The, the, the airport had been taken over by the families and uh, of the <laughs> passengers coming. 
the metal door metal uh, detector the metal frame was broken and the the policemen were helpless you know standing in one corner they're just allowing anybody to go in uh, there so as people got down from the aircraft everybody was being lifted on their shoulder including me and i was here lugging along one suitcase and three two satellite phones and i was worried about the satellite phones falling and if the satellite phones had fallen probably my job would have been in jeopardy where it was expensive things so i thought the best way to say said i'm not one of the passengers i'm the negotiating team they dropped me straight there you know sure because i landed on the ground <laughs> but it was euphoric they moved i went home and uh, my wife and kids were sleeping they didn't know i said woke them up and i said this is the 31st december 1999 we are going to go and celebrate new year somewhere or the other went to a friend's house and spent new year there did they know that you were also in kandahar at that who point? my wife and ah that is another story i myself didn't know i was going to kandahar on the morning of 26 uh, i went to office little late i normally am there fairly promptly but that day i came a little late because i spent the whole night at the uh, the office the previous night uh in connection with this drama and had gone home to have a bath and take a short nap and come so i must have reached office about 10:15 and i saw people waiting for me and said uh, you know typical bureaucratic language saab yaad kar rahe hain said kaun si saab bade saab so i went there and i found my chief sitting and say where where are you i said sir i went home to change i've been up the this thing. oh no no come sit 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 then that's when i discovered that i was to go to kandahar along with a then number 2 of the department two of us were to be formed the team so i said i have to go home and uh, get my clothes i was told go and come straight to uh, went home my wife had been away wife had gone out somewhere house was locked nobody at home so i opened the house i couldn't there were no mobile phones at that time so i just left a brief note on the door Uh, and on the fridge to say look i've been asked to go to kandahar i'll try and contact you uh, because i you had the sat phones this evening or uh, try and talk to you from the airport if you're back uh, home uh, that was not possible anyway that was the only thing i could not say goodbye or anything like yes, that so it was only up. a message yes, on the fridge yes just a message and the you know when you pack in such a hurry you two stupid things i forgot to take towel i'd forgotten to when you go overseas you don't normally take a towel because you expect to stay in a hotel but this hardly <laughs> had a hotel to stay in. so that was it uh, mercifully the aeros just came to my rescue and you know the small hand towels that you get to wipe your hands mm. in uh, as you after you take off so on a big tray 24 of them I the moist towelettes moist, yeah. exactly i used that because i had no towel you know for the first two days Mr Arni you just mentioned that there were 52 people who went to Kandahar and there was one core team of which was negotiating what were the other people up to um the there there was a team of doctors and nurses and uh, the doctors and nurses were picked up from Saftachang hospital the analogy there being that uh, I mean the composition the analogy being that uh, since 50% of the uh, hostages were women and children you needed women doctors mm. so when we got into the aircraft i discovered that we had probably half the contingent were women mm. and aerostasis the uh, nurses 
and the women doctors. You are landing up in, in Taliban-controlled Afghanistan, which is entirely burqa-clad, with uh, Air India aerostasis wearing saris and the people who and exposing the navels, which was uh, uh, unheard of in Taliban-controlled uh, Afghanistan. So after about two days, I suspect that they were little. Uh, they were bored. They're getting worried. Then we were twenty. We were miles away from Kandahar, the, the airport, and they wanted to see a bit of Kandahar. So we talked to the Afghan, to the Taliban, and the Taliban uh, arranged for some vehicles and said that uh, they can go to Kandahar uh, to take a look at whatever there is. And what they shop for, I know, is only dried fruits. I don't know whether they picked up anything else. But along with the request, along with the four vehicles, came a set of burkas. And <laughs> Mr. Mutawakil, the foreign minister, gave it to me and said, please ask women to cover themselves. Uh, if they're wearing salwar kameezes and they cover them hair with their uh, sick, that's okay. But the women in saris, please ask them to wear burkas. So that was done. But I'm told from the ladies who came back that they had a great time there because uh, the shopkeepers were extremely exceedingly friendly and uh, uh, sold things to them at prices which were uh, probably less than what they had paid for it and uh, a couple of them asked questions in Urdu uh, of course they were trying to keep them separate but a lot of them came up and asked about Urdu. Some of the questions I'm told were related basically to Bollywood Okay uh, And what currency did they use to pay the shopkeepers if I can ask uh, I'm not sure any of them used any money, but uh, yeah, certainly when I remember the crates of dried fruits, about four or five crates of dried fruits were put into the whole luggage hold of the aircraft. So that must have been 52 people. I I got probably about a kilo. Oh, yes, they used dollars because I know. I know they used dollars because I, since somebody was someone amongst our team was carrying dollars and was asked if they could uh, borrow the dollars. So, yes, we gave them the dollars. <laughs> All this happening in parallel to a hostage negotiation yes, and yes, the rescue of yes, Indian civilians yes, and foreigners yes, uh, from a hijacking. Yes. Amazing. There, was, there were hilarious parts of it also. No, not hilarious, human interest parts. No, definitely. I mean, we want to know that all this happens. Thank you for staying with us till the end. If you like the Pragati podcast and listen to it on iTunes, please leave us a rating and a review and it will mean a lot to us. Visit our website at thinkpragati.com for your daily dose of brain fodder on all things public policy. You can subscribe to the Pragati podcast on the IBM podcast app or wherever else you get your podcasts from. We're there everywhere. It's IBM here, let's go. We the IBM kids on the block over here. Just the talk, taking a break from producing all day. Coming on this podcast because we got stuff to say. IBM Daily is the name of the show. Monday to Friday, we ready to go. Talking about stuff in our head. We might even talk about our favorite bread. Signing out, it's IBM here, the podcast network that's in your ear. Catch IBM Daily, Monday to Friday, on the IBM Podcast app or wherever you get your podcasts. Shunyawan, Shunyawan.
Hey, this is Shiladitya Mukhopadhyay. And I'm Amit Doshi. And we host Shunya One, the weekly podcast based on conversations about startups, entrepreneurship, across verticals like food tech or fintech and digital payments, logistics, e-commerce, and of course, all the stuff from VCs and investors as well. Over the course of our run, we've had some really great entrepreneurs. We've had Zishan Hayat from Topper, Naya Sagi from Baby Chakra, Ankur Sachdev from ShareChat, and Akrit from Haptic, among many, many more. Yep, and we continue to get some of the biggest, smartest, and most innovative folks in the country, in this space, coming here, talking to us, all for you guys to listen to. So tune in every Tuesday on the IVM app website or wherever you get your podcasts from and get a chance to be a part of all of the tech banter and entrepreneurship conversations on our Slack channel. Talk to our guests. They show up as well. All you have to do is request an invite on ivmpodcast.com slash junior one.